RussiaUkraineWare.eu. Foreign Ministers Meet in Kiev for Summit. Monica Prongsuk Vivek Shankar Matthew Poke Big Andrew Higgins. Video player loading, https colon slash slash static 01.nyt.com slash images slash 2023 slash 10 slash 02 slash video slash 02 vid dash ukraine dash mafa slash 02 vid dash ukraine dash mafa dash square 640.jpg. The European Union is holding a previously unannounced meeting on Monday in the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, in a bid to signal continuous support for Ukraine as it battles against Russia's invasion and strives to accelerate the process of becoming a member of the bloc. Foreign ministers from the 27 member states of the European Union were invited to the gathering in Kiev, the first such meeting of the bloc outside its borders, Josep Borrell Fontels, the bloc's top diplomat, said on social media. Of those invited, 23 attended, and four countries sent other representatives. We are here to express our solidarity and support to the Ukrainian people, Mr. Borrell said, on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. The meeting, he said, would be an informal one where ministers would brainstorm about the war and the ways in which the West can support Ukraine. Mr. Burrell added, Ukraine's future lies within the EU. Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, which began in February 2022, has forced the EU to reckon with expanding its ranks. Last month, the bloc's top official, Ursula von der Leyen, called for a major expansion of member states to include Ukraine, as well as other countries where Moscow has sought to exert its influence, including Moldova, several Western Balkan nations and Georgia. But joining the European Union is a long and arduous endeavor, especially for a nation at war. A candidate country has to fulfill numerous detailed criteria and align its law with the bloc's regulations, a process that usually takes several years. The EU last year gave Ukraine the coveted status of candidate country, and it is expected to decide in December whether to allow Ukraine to open negotiations with the bloc, the next step in the process, which would require the unanimous backing of all 27 member states. The meeting on Monday comes amid deep concern about cracks in the Western support for Kyiv, as it is facing a critical winter and continues to wage a grinding counteroffensive to retake land in the south and east of the country. A national election held over the weekend in Slovakia, an EU member, brought victory for a Russia-friendly populist party whose leader vowed not to send a single cartridge of ammunition to neighboring Ukraine. Poland, one of Kyiv's staunchest allies, said last month that it would not send any additional weapons to its eastern neighbor once it fulfills its current commitments. The statement came amid a dispute over Ukraine's grain exports, as Poland's governing party seeks to reassure voters that it will not prioritize Ukraine's interests over those of Polish citizens ahead of an election later this month. In Washington over the weekend, Congress passed a stopgap spending bill to avert a government shutdown that did not contain additional aid for Ukraine after some Republican lawmakers expressed decreasing willingness to fund Kyiv's war effort. Mr. Burrell told reporters before Monday's meeting that it remained crucial for the West to keep on supporting Ukraine, whatever it takes. This war is having deep consequences for the whole world, but for us Europeans, it's an existential threat, he said. And that's why we have to continue supporting Ukraine and discussing with our American allies and friends, for them, too, to continue supporting. Vivek Shankar contributed reporting from Seoul. 
at least one person died and six others, including two children, were injured in the eastern Ukrainian region of Kherson after Russia bombarded residential areas near the Dnipro River, local officials said on Monday. Russian forces fired nearly 400 shells into Ukrainian-controlled areas of the region, damaging buildings including a kindergarten, a church and an ambulance station, the Ukrainian head of the local military administration, Oleksandr Prokutin, said on the Telegram messaging app, https colon slash slash t.me slash slash Among the victims was a man in his 40s who was in the yard of a house when he was fatally injured, Mr. Prokutin said. Two girls, ages 12 and 13, were also among those hospitalized for treatment. The claims had not been independently verified. Another difficult night and morning for the Kherson region, Mr. Prokutin said. The enemy covers the peaceful settlements of the region with fire. The regional capital of Kherson and neighboring communities on the west bank of the Dnipro have remained in Russia's crosshairs since the city was reclaimed by Ukraine almost a year ago and Moscow's troops retreated to the eastern side of the river. The latest attacks continued into the early morning on Monday, when the center of the city of Kherson was hit, local officials said. No casualties were reported there immediately. Ukraine's government said on Sunday it was confident that the United States would continue to support it in its war with Russia, even after the House passed a stopgap spending bill to avert a government shutdown that did not include any additional money for Kyiv. The White House and leaders of both parties in the Senate had pushed for more Ukraine funding to be included in the bill, which passed late Saturday. Members of both parties said they were confident that further financial commitments would be agreed to, but the failure to do so on Saturday highlighted the decreasing willingness of some Republicans to fund Kyiv's war effort. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine had made the case for continued U.S. support during a visit to Washington last month, and his office suggested on Sunday that it was not unduly concerned. All key partners of Ukraine are determined to support our country until its victory in this war, Andriy Yermak, the head of the president's office, said in a post on the Telegram messaging app, adding that the Ukrainian government meets with both Republicans and Democrats. The Ukrainian delegation returned from the United States of America with clear confidence that there are no changes in support. Although the stopgap bill did not contain additional support for Ukraine, it continues funding at current levels for 45 days and will not immediately affect the pipeline of U.S. military aid. The Pentagon still has the authority to draw about $5.6 billion in arms and equipment from existing stockpiles, and the bill keeps in place a program to send money to Ukraine for purposes including training troops. Mr. Biden welcomed passage of the stopgap bill, but said on Sunday there was an overwhelming sense of urgency to secure additional funding for Ukraine, which he promised to deliver. Mr. Biden, who has sought an additional $24 billion for Ukraine, on top of about $113 billion in military, humanitarian and economic aid that Congress has already approved, said leaving that money out of the bill had put Ukrainians in danger. I can't believe those who voted for supporting Ukraine, an overwhelming majority in the House and Senate, Democratic, Republican, will for purely political reasons let more people die needlessly in Ukraine. The Ukrainian government was actively working with American partners to ensure that the new budget includes more aid for Ukraine, a spokesman for Ukraine's foreign ministry, Ola Nikolenko, said in a statement on Facebook. 
Support for Ukraine remains unwaveringly strong within the U.S. administration, in both parties and chambers of the U.S. Congress, and most importantly, among the American people, he added. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy signaled on CBS's Face the Nation on Sunday that he is willing to make a deal to keep military assistance flowing to Ukraine, but that such an agreement would depend on Congress making significant changes to border security, including the way that migrants make asylum claims. Republicans who support Ukraine make up the majority of GOP members in Congress, and one of them, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, predicted on Face the Nation that senators would draft an assistance proposal with $60 billion or more to assist Kyiv through the next fighting season. Mr. Zelensky has sought to set the war in a long-term perspective and argued in an address on Sunday that Ukraine was at a crossroads of history. No one should and no one will manage to switch off our resilience, endurance, grit and courage on either scheduled or emergency basis, he said. They have no expiration date, end date, or final point after which we would stop resisting and fighting, except for one, our victory. On Sunday, a nationwide moment of silence for fallen soldiers was held across the country, a tradition that Mr. Zelensky said would be observed each year. At 9 a.m. local time, church bells rang and people stopped in the streets of the capital. Ukraine does not disclose military casualty figures, but U.S. officials said in August that the country had suffered close to 70,000 killed and 100,000 to 120,000 wounded. The toll, which the officials said is dwarfed by Russian losses, has continued to rise as Ukrainian forces wage a counteroffensive to retake land in the south and east of the country. After months of bloody combat, little ground has changed hands this year and Ukraine is yet to achieve a decisive breakthrough. At the same time, Ukraine has intensified attacks on occupied Crimea, which Russia illegally annexed in 2014 in an attempt to disrupt Moscow's supply lines. Russia's defense ministry said Sunday that air defenses intercepted two Ukrainian missiles over the occupied peninsula. Falling debris damaged warehouses, but there were no casualties, the Russian state news agency TASS reported, citing the Moscow-appointed governor of Crimea, Sergei Aksyonov. The claim could not be independently confirmed. Kiev has also stepped up a campaign of drone attacks on military targets in Russia. Five Ukrainian drones were intercepted on Sunday over the city of Smolensk in western Russia, the regional governor, Vasily Anakin, said on the Telegram messaging app. Another was down in the Krasnodar region of southern Russia, TASS reported, prompting temporary flight restrictions at Sochi airport. Here's what else is happening. Russian shelling killed one person on Sunday in the northeastern Kharkiv region, according to Ukraine's Ministry of Internal Affairs. Separately, Ukraine's Air Force said that it had shot down 16 out of 30 exploding drones that Russian forces launched overnight. One person was injured when industrial infrastructure in the central region of Cherkasy was hit and a grain warehouse caught fire, according to officials. Russian attacks also wounded four people in the southern Ukrainian region of Kherson overnight, a spokesperson for the regional military administration, Oleksandr Talakonikov, said on national television. Britain's Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, pushed back on remarks by his defense secretary suggesting that Britain was considering training Ukrainian troops inside Ukraine. The defense secretary, Grant Shapps, had raised the possibility in an interview with the Telegraph newspaper. 
but Mr. Sunak on Sunday told Sky News that the idea was not for the here and now. Eric Schmidt, Katie Rogers and Karan Demirjian contributed reporting. Huge crowds marched through Poland's capital, Warsaw, on Sunday, converging around a giant flag commemorating a 1944 uprising against Nazi Germany, as opponents of the governing party sought to rally voters for a critical general election that they see as the last chance to save the country's hard-won democratic freedoms. The Warsaw city government, which is controlled by the opposition, put the crowd at a million people at its peak. But state-controlled television, which mostly ignored the event, instead broadcasting a pre-election convention by the governing Law and Justice Party, estimated fewer than 100,000 had turned out, citing police sources. The march was the biggest display of anti-government sentiment since Poland's Solidarity Trade Union movement rallied against communism in the 1980s. It set the stage for the final stretch of an increasingly nasty election campaign. Poland, bitterly polarized on everything from relations with the rest of Europe to abortion rights, will hold a general election on October 15 that will decide whether the Conservative Law and Justice Party secures an unprecedented third term in a row in government. In a speech peppered with references to Poland's past struggles for liberty, Donald Tusk, the main opposition leader, appealed for patriots to cast out a right-wing nationalist government that he said was pitting Poles against Poles, defiling the legacy of national heroes who had resisted foreign occupation. He promised to end what he called the Polish-Polish War stoked by the governing party's denunciation as traitors Poles who deviate from traditional Catholic values or look to the European Union for help against discrimination and government meddling in the judiciary. Change for the better is inevitable, he said. Billed as the March of a Million Hearts, the event featured Polish and EU flags, as well as a few American ones waved by Poles with family in the United States. Before leading a huge crowd in singing the Polish national anthem, which starts with the words Poland has not yet perished, Mr. Tusk said the opening line has never had such a strong and authentic ring as it does today. Seeking to reclaim patriotism from law and justice, which presents itself as a protector of Polish values and sovereignty against EU bureaucrats in Brussels and accuses Mr. Tusk of being a stooge for Germany or Russia or at times both countries, the opposition leader said, they are not Poland. We are Poland. Speaking to his own supporters at a pre-election party convention in the southern city of Katowice, Jarosław Kaczynski, law and justice's chairman and Poland's de facto leader, mocked Mr. Tusk as such an idiot whose victory would lead to the country's enslavement by foreign powers. He claimed that Mr. Tusk's term as prime minister, from 2007 to 2014, had made Poland subordinate to external forces, especially Germany and Russia. Law and justice, he said, needed mobilization, faith, determination and work to ensure that Tusk system does not return to Poland. Recent opinion polls give law and justice around 38% of the vote, compared with 30% for Mr. Tusk's civic coalition, an alliance of centrist and center-left forces, with smaller left and far-right parties trailing far behind. The gap narrowed sharply over the summer, but after a full-throated media campaign demonizing Mr. Tusk and his supporters as enemies of the Roman Catholic Church, law and justice picked up support, particularly in areas that rely on the party-controlled state broadcasting system. No single party is expected to win a majority in the vote, and the shape of the next government will depend on which of the frontrunners, law and justice or civic coalition, can find allies to form a coalition. 
As Mr. Tusk spoke to supporters in Warsaw, Poland's Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, addressed the Law and Justice Convention in southern Poland, hammering the party's favorite theme that the opposition serves German and Russian interests. Tusk was their handmaiden, he claimed, referring to energy deals struck between Berlin and Moscow while Mr. Tusk was Poland's prime minister before taking a job in Brussels as president of the European Council, another strike against him, in the governing party's view. Worried about competition from Confederacja, a far-right group that has been vocal about reducing Poland's assistance to Ukraine, law and justice has sent mixed messages in recent weeks about its policy toward Kyiv. It has insisted that it would not do anything to reduce the flow of weapons to fight Russia's invading forces, while suggesting recently that it might do just that. Less than two weeks ago, Mr. Morawiecki told a national broadcaster that Poland was no longer transferring any weapons to Ukraine because we are now arming ourselves with the most modern weapons. Poland's president, Andrzej Duda, later walked back Mr. Morawiecki's remarks, clearly made for electoral reasons but still unsettling for Poland's foreign partners. Desperate to hang on to voters in rural areas, an important base of support, law and justice has vowed to halt the import of cheap Ukrainian grain and protect Polish farmers from the damage this has caused to their income. The grain was meant to just transit through Poland, but some of it was siphoned off for sale on the domestic market. Pre-election promises by the Polish government, along with those of Slovakia and Hungary, to halt all deliveries of Ukrainian grain did not stop the leader of a Polish farm lobbying group, Agrinia, from speaking on Sunday in support of the opposition. Law and justice's pre-election shifts and maneuvers have confused and annoyed fellow European countries that previously viewed Poland as a solid anchor of the West's support for Ukraine, particularly those like Germany that Warsaw has repeatedly chided for not being steadfast enough in helping Kiev. Janusz Michalak, 71, a retired logistics manager who joined the march with his wife, Alicija, said he had lived through communism and worried that law and justice, through cynical maneuvers to win support, the tight control of state broadcasting and the demonization of its political foes, won a silent under their boot like the communists did. If we don't change this government, democracy dies in Poland, he added. Anatol Magsiars contributed reporting.